Welcome, Milky Way listeners, to Sleepy Reads. This is Space Cat Coco, and my task is to record audio logs of vintage Earth handbooks, manuals, and how-to books to help with focus, relaxation, and sleep for Earth humans and to all in the Milky Way. May your sleep cycle be successful. So, in my living quarters, I have this sofa lounger that is in the shape of an ice cream sandwich with cherry and whipped cream shaped pillows. It is super adorable. On my wall of fruit, I found more buttons and cute little cherries. One cherry changes the sofa lounger to a bed, and the other two adjust the firmness and levels of the bed. I have been on the Ice Cream Nebula rec station for a few vintage earth weeks and was sleeping on the lounger this whole time. No wonder I wasn't feeling rested. The lounger was set on super soft, so I felt like I was being eaten by the ice cream sandwich every sleep cycle. Ugh, the nightmares. I am very happy that I have an actual bed now. These units really need to come with a manual. Alrighty then, I need to get back to recording. Remember to check with your Sustu for past audio logs. Also, transcripts can be found on SpicyPonyDesign.com. And now, the ending of the Ford Manual for Owners and Operators of Ford Cars and Trucks, Part 4 of 4, by the Ford Motor Company. Published 1919. Part 9. The Ford Lubricating System How does the Ford Lubricating System differ from others? Answer number 98. It is simplified, and there are few places to oil. Practically all of the parts of the engine and transmission are oiled by the Ford splash system from the one big oil reservoir in the crankcase. Cut number 18 shows the principal points of lubrication and specifies when replenishment should be made according to mileage. This chart should be studied carefully and often. It is a good plan to frequently supply all oil cups with the same oil used in the engine. Any good light-grade lubricating oil will answer. And the dope cups with good grease. Be sure to see that the commutator is kept freely supplied with oil at all times. Which is the best way to fill the dope cups? Answer number 99. When it is advisable to fill dope cup covers, screw them down, refill with grease, and repeat the operation two or three times. Always open oil cups by turning to right as this keeps tightening rather than loosening them. Occasionally, remove front wheels and supply dope to wearing surface. A drop of oil now and then and crank handle bearing is necessary. Also, on fan belt pulleys and shaft. The axle's drive shaft and universal joint are well supplied with lubricant when the car leaves the factory, but it is well to examine and oil them frequently. What kind of oil should be used? Answer number 100. We recommend only a medium-light, high-grade gas engine oil for use in the Model T motor, 
a medium light grade of oil is preferred as it will naturally reach the bearings with greater ease and consequently less heat will develop on account of friction. The oil should, however, have sufficient body so that the pressure between the two bearing surfaces will not force the oil out and allow the metal to come in actual contact. Heavy and inferior oils have a tendency to carbonize quickly. Also, gum up the piston rings, valve stems and bearings. In cold weather, a light grade of oil having a low cold test is absolutely essential for the proper lubrication of the car. Graphite should not be used as a lubricant in the engine or the transmission as it will have a tendency to short-circuit the magneto. How often should oil be drained from crankcase? Answer number 101. It is advisable to clean out the crankcase by draining off the dirty oil when the new car has been driven 350 miles. Thereafter, it will only be necessary to repeat this operation about every 750 miles. Remove the plug underneath the flywheel casing and drain off the oil. Replace the plug and pour in a gallon of kerosene oil through the breather pipe. Turn the engine over 15 or 20 times so that the splash from the kerosene oil will thoroughly cleanse the engine. Remove crankcase plug and drain off kerosene oil. It is of vital importance that all the kerosene be removed from the depressions in the crankcase. To do this, put about a quart of lubricating oil into the motor and turn engine over several times. Then, remove the crankcase plug and drain off the flushing oil. Then, replace plug and refill with fresh oil. See answer number three. How often should commutator be oiled? Answer number 102. Keeping the commutator well-oiled is a matter of far greater importance than many drivers believe and is necessary in order to have a smooth operating engine. Don't be afraid to put a little oil into the commutator every other day, at least every 200 miles. Remember that the commutator roller revolves very rapidly, and without sufficient lubrication, the parts soon become badly worn. When in this condition, perfect contact between the roller and the four contact points is impossible. As a result, the engine is apt to misfire when running at a good rate of speed. Cut number 19. Oiling the Ford Commutator What about lubricating the differential? Answer number 103. Do not make the mistake of putting too much grease in the differential housing. The housing should not be more than one-third full. The differential is supplied with the required amount of lubricant when the car leaves the factory. The oil plug should be removed about every 1,000 miles and more grease added if necessary. If a fluid grease is used, the level should be approximately 1 and 1 half inches below the oil hole. Part 10. Care of the Tires how are Ford tires removed? Answer number 104. First, jack up the wheel clear of the road. The valve cap should be unscrewed, the lock nut removed, and the valve stem pushed into the tire until its bead is flush with the rim. This done, Loosen up the head of the shoe in the clinch of the rim by working and pushing with the hands. Then, insert one of the tire irons or levers under the beads. 
the tire iron should be pushed in just enough to get a good hold on the underside of the bead, but not so far as to pinch the inner tube between the rim and the tool. A second iron should be inserted in the same fashion some seven or eight inches from the first, and the third tool the same distance from the second. As a clincher tire must be pried over the clinch, three levers will come in handy in case of a one-man job, and the knee of the driver can be used to good advantage to hold down one lever while the other two are being manipulated and working the shoe clear of the rim. After freeing a length of the bead from the clinch, the entire outer edge of the casing may be readily detached with the hands and the damaged inner tube removed and patched or a spare tube inserted. Always use plenty of soapstone in replacing an inner tube. How are casings repaired? Answer number 105. Should the casings be cut so there is danger of the inner tube being blown through it, a temporary repair can be made by cementing a canvas patch on the inside of the casing. Before applying the patch, the part of the casing affected should be cleaned with gasoline, and when dry, rubber cement applied to both casing and patch. This will answer as an emergency repair, but the casing should be vulcanized at the first opportunity. To prolong the life of the tire casings, any small cuts in the tread should be filled with patching cement and especially prepared plastic sold by the tire companies. How may tire expense be reduced? Answer number 106. The tire constitutes one of the most important items in the running expenses of an automobile. To get the most service at the least expense, the tires should be inspected frequently and all small cuts or holes properly sealed or repaired, thus preventing dirt and water working in between the rubber tread and the fabric, causing blisters or sand boils. Tires should never be run partially deflated as the sidewalls are unduly bent and the fabric is subject to stresses which cause what is known as rim cutting. The chances of getting a puncture will be greatly reduced by keeping your tires properly inflated, as a hard tire exposes much less surface to the road than a soft tire and also deflects sharp objects that would penetrate a soft tire. Running a tire flat even for a short distance, is sure to be costly. Better run on the rim very slowly and carefully rather than on a flat tire. Remember that fast driving and skidding shorten the life of the tires. Avoid locking the wheels with the brakes. No tire will stand the strain of being dragged over the pavement in this fashion. Avoid running in streetcar tracks, in ruts, or bumping the sides of the tire against the curbing. The wheel rims should be painted each season and kept free from rust. When a car is idle for an appreciable length of time, it should be jacked up to take the load off the tires. If the car is laid up for many months, it is best to remove the tires and wrap up the outer casings and inner tubes separately and store them in a dark room not exposed to extreme temperatures. Remove oil or grease from the tires with gasoline. Remember that heat, light, and oil are three natural enemies of rubber. How is a puncture in the inner tube repaired? Answer number 100 and seven. After locating the puncture, carefully clean the rubber around the leak with benzene or gasoline. 
Then, roughen the surface with sandpaper to give a hold for the cement. Apply the cement to both patch and tube, allowing it to dry for about five minutes, repeating the application twice with like intervals between for drying. When the cement is dry and sticky, press the patch against the tube firmly and thoroughly to remove all air bubbles beneath it and ensure proper adherence to the surface. Then spread some soapstone or talc powder all over the repair so as to prevent the tube sticking to the casing. Before the tube is put back into the casing, plenty of talc powder should be sprinkled into the latter. A cement patch is not usually permanent and the tube should be vulcanized as soon as possible. In replacing the tire on the rim, be careful not to pinch the tube. Part 11. Points on Maintenance What is the proper way to wash the car? Answer number 108. Always use cold or lukewarm water never hot water. If a hose is used, don't turn on the water at full force as this drives the dirt into the varnish and injures the finish. After the surplus mud and grime have been washed off, take the sponge and clean the body and running gear with a tepid solution of water and ivory or linseed oil soap. Rinse off with cold water, then rub dry and polish the body with a camoise skin. A body or furniture polish of good quality may be used to add luster to the car. Grease on the running gear may be removed with gasoline-soaked sponge or rag. The nickeled parts may be polished with any good metal polish. What care does top need? Answer number 109. When putting the top down, be careful in folding to see that the fabric is not pinched between the bow spacers, as they will chafe a hole through the top very quickly. Applying a good top dressing will greatly improve the appearance of an old top. What should be done when the car is stored? Answer number 110. Drain the water from the radiator and then put in about a quart of denatured alcohol to prevent freezing of any water that may possibly remain. Remove cylinder head and clean out any carbon deposits and combustion chamber. Draw off all the gasoline. Drain the dirty oil from the crankcase and cleanse the engine with kerosene as directed in answer number 101. Refill the crankcase with fresh oil and revolve the engine enough to cover the different parts with oil. Remove the tires and store them away. Wash up the car and if possible, cover the body with a sheet of muslin to protect the finish. What attention do the electric headlights require? Answer number 111. Very little. When the cars leave our factory, the lamps are properly focused, and unless the bulb burns out, there should be no occasion for removing the door, as there is nothing to get out of order. Should the door be removed for any reason, Care should be exercised not to touch the silver-plated reflector or the bulb with anything but a soft, clean rag, preferably flannel. To focus the lamps, turn the adjusting screw in the back of the lamp in either direction until the desired focus is attained. Part 12. The Ford Model T One-Ton Truck do the instructions relative to the car apply to the truck? Answer number 112. The answers pertaining to the car are applicable to the truck, with the exception of number 79 
80, and 81. How are the rear axle and differential dissembled? Answer number 113. With the universal joint disconnected, remove the bolt in front of the radius rods and the cap screws which hold the drive shaft tube to the rear axle housing. Then remove the rear axle housing cap. Also, the bolts which hold the two halves of the differential housing together. With the differential exposed to view, the manner of disassembling it will be apparent. Care must be exercised to get every part back in its correct position when assembling. Be sure to use new paper liners. How is the worm removed? Answer number 114. To remove the worm, drive out the pins which hold the coupling to the worm and drive shaft. Then remove the felt washer, roller bearing sleeve, and roller bearing by slipping them over the coupling. Drive the coupling off from the drive shaft and then force the worm from the coupling. Removing the worm nut will permit the removal of the retaining washer, thrust bearing, and rear worm roller bearing. In reassembling, be sure that the pin which holds the retaining washer stationary is in place. How is the differential gear removed from the shaft? Answer number 115. The differential gear is fastened to the inner end of the rear axle shaft by means of splines and is held in position by a ring which is in two halves and fits in a groove in the rear axle shaft. To remove the gear, force it down on the shaft, that is, away from the end to which it is fastened. Drive out the two halves of the ring and groove in shaft with screwdriver or chisel and force the gear off the end of the shaft. What about lubricating the rear axle? Answer number 116. Extreme care must be used in lubricating the differential. An A1 heavy fluid or semi-fluid oil, such as Mobile Oil C or Whitmore's Worm Gear Protective, should be used and carried at a level with the upper oil plug. The differential is supplied with the required amount of lubricant when the truck leaves the factory, and the supply should be maintained by replenishments as required. After running the truck about 500 miles, the oil should be drained off by removing the lower oil plug and the differential filled with fresh lubricant. This operation should be repeated at approximately 1,000 miles, and after that, whenever necessary. The rear axle outer roller bearings are lubricated by means of dope cups. These cups should be kept filled with a good grade of grease and given a full turn every 100 miles. Before putting the truck back in service after the rear axle has been taken down, fill the differential with oil, jack up the axle, and run it for 5 or 10 minutes to ensure proper lubrication of all bearings. Cut number 20. Truck Rear Axle Longitudinal View Cut number 21, truck rear axle, cross section, showing worm and worm gear. Cut number 22, starter and generator units. And now, the interlude. Moondauber Delights presents Sweet Corn Soup. Ingredients. Knuckle of veal. Set of calf's feet, cold boiled ham, pepper, water, milk, ears of sweet corn, butter.
Take a knuckle of veal and a set of calf's feet. Put them into a soup pot with some cold boiled ham cut into pieces and season them with pepper only, having allowed a quart of water to each pound of meat. Pour it on and let it boil till the meat falls from the bone. Strain it and pour the liquid into a clean pot. If you live in the country or where milk is plenty, make the soup of milk without any water. All white soups are best of milk. You may boil in this with the veal and feet, an old fowl cut into pieces that is too tough for any other purpose. When the soup is well boiled and the shreds all strained away, have ready, cooked by themselves in another pot, some ears of sweet corn, young and tender. Cut the grains from the cob, mix the corn with fresh butter, season it with pepper, and stir it in the strained soup. Give the whole a short boil, pour it into a tureen, and send it to table. This recipe was found in Miss Leslie's new cookery book by Eliza Leslie, published in Vintage Earth Year, 1857. And now, the conclusion of the Ford Manual for Owners and Operators of Ford Cars and Trucks. Part 13. The Ford Starting and Lightning System. Of what does the starting and lightning system consist? Answer number 117. The starting and lighting system is of the two-unit type and consists of the starting motor, generator, storage battery, amateur, and lights, together with the necessary wiring and connections. Where is the starter located? Answer number 118. The starting motor is mounted on the left-hand side of the engine and bolted to the transmission cover. When in operation, the pinion on the Bendix drive shaft engages with the teeth on the flywheel. What if the engine fails to start? Answer number 119. If the starting motor is turning the crankshaft over and the engine fails to start, the trouble is not in the starting system. In this event, release the button at once so as not to unnecessarily discharge the battery and inspect the carburetor and ignition system to determine the trouble. What if the starting motor fails to act? Answer number 120. If the starting motor fails to act after pushing the button, first inspect the terminal on the starting motor, the two terminals on the battery, and the two terminals on starting switch, making sure all of the connections are tight. Then examine the wiring for a break in the insulation that would cause a short circuit. If the wiring and connections are okay and the starting motor fails to act, test the battery with a hydrometer. If the hydrometer reading is less than 1.225, the trouble is in no doubt due to a weak or discharged battery. What if the driver steps on starting button when engine is running? Answer number 121. Should the driver accidentally step on the starting button while the engine is running, no harm will result. The pinion merely touches the revolving flywheel gear once and immediately rotates with the threaded shaft out of contact with the flywheel in the same manner as when it has been disengaged by the engine starting. 
How is the generator operated? Answer number 122. The generator is mounted on the right-hand side of the engine and bolted to the cylinder front end cover. It is operated by the pinion on the armature shaft engaging with the large time gear. The charging rate of generator is set so as to cut in at engine speeds corresponding to 10 miles per hour in high speed and reaches a maximum charging rate at 20 miles per hour. At higher speeds, the charge will taper off, which is a settled characteristic of a generator. This operation of cutting in and cutting out at suitable speeds is accomplished by the cutout which is mounted on the generator. This cutout is set properly at the factory and should not under any circumstances be tampered with. Cut number 23. Wiring diagram cars equipped with starter. What about oiling? Answer number 123. The starting motor is lubricated by the Ford Splash system, the same as the engine and transmission. The generator is lubricated by a splash of oil from the time gears. In addition, an oil cup is located at the end of the generator housing and a few drops of oil should be applied occasionally. What should be done when repairing the ignition? Answer number 124. The introduction of a battery current into the magneto will discharge the magnets, and whenever working on the ignition system or wiring, do not fail to disconnect the positive wire from the battery. The end of this wire should be wound with tape to prevent it coming in contact with the terminal again. How does the amateur operate? Answer number 125. The amateur is located on the instrument board. This indicator registers charge when the generator is charging the battery and discharge when the lights are burning and the engine not running above 10 miles per hour. At an engine speed of 15 miles per hour or more, the amateur should show a reading from 10 to 12. If the engine is running above 15 miles per hour and the amateur does not show a proper reading, first inspect the terminal posts on the amateur, making sure that the connections are tight. Then disconnect the wire from the terminal on generator. And when the engine running at moderate speed, take a pair of pliers or a screwdriver and short circuit the terminal stud on the generator to the generator housing. If the generator is okay, a good live spark will be noted. Do not run the engine any longer than is necessary with the terminal wire disconnected. Next, Inspect the wiring from the generator through the amateur to the battery for a break in the insulation that would result in a short circuit. If the trouble is not located, then remove the dust cap from the end of the generator and thoroughly clean the generator commutator using for this work a fine grade of sandpaper which has been slightly oiled. With the motor running, Hold the sandpaper against the commutator with the fingers until all dirt has been removed and a bright surface attained. How are the lights operated? Answer number 126. The lighting system consists of two headlights and a taillight operated by a combination lighting and ignition switch located on the instrument board. The headlamp bulbs are of 6 to 8 volt double filament type. The major filament is 18 candle power and the minor filament is 2 and 3 fourths candle power. The small bulb used in the tail light is of 6 to 8 volt 
single contact to candle power type. All of the lamps are connected in parallel so that the burning out or removal of any one of them will not affect the other. Current for the lamps is supplied by the battery. Do not connect the lights to the magneto as it will result in burning out the bulbs and might discharge the magnets. Cut number 23 shows the different circuits and the course of the current. What about repairing starter and generator? Answer number 127. If either the starter or generator fails to give proper service, the owner should at once consult an authorized Ford dealer. Owners should not attempt to repair or adjust the mechanism of the starter and generator. How is the starter removed? Answer number 128. When removing the starter to replace transmission bands or for any other reason, first remove the engine pan on the left-hand side of the engine and with a screwdriver, remove the four small screws holding the shaft cover to the transmission cover. Upon removing cover and gasket, Turn the Bendix drive shaft around so that the set screw on the end of the shaft is at the top. Immediately under the set screw is placed a lock washer designed with lips or extensions opposite each other. One of these is turned against the collar and the other is turned up against the side of the screw head. Bend back the lip which has been forced against the screw and remove the set screw. As the lock washer will no doubt be broken or weakened in removing the starter, a new one must be used when replacing it. Next, pull the Bendix assembly out of the housing, being careful that the small key is not misplaced nor lost. Remove the four screws which hold the starter housing to the transmission cover and pull out the starter, taking the same down through the chassis. This is why it was necessary to remove the engine pan. Extreme care should be used in removing the Bendix drive and other parts that none are replaced nor lost and that they are replaced in their former position. In replacing the starter, be sure that the terminal connection is placed at the top. If the car is to be operated with the starter removed, be sure to put the transmission cover plates in position. These plates may be obtained from the nearest dealer. How is the Bendix drive assembled to the starting motor? Answer number 129. When assembling the Bendix drive to the starting motor shaft, care must be used to see that the stop nut or bearing which enters the mounting bracket on the starting motor is not too tight. Also, that the bearing is in proper alignment with the bracket. The bearing should be oiled and then fitted so that it can be turned readily with the fingers. If the bearing is too tight, it should be dressed down with an oil stone. Too tight a fit will cause the bearing to freeze to the bracket resulting in serious damage to the starter. How is the generator removed? Answer number 130. If it is found necessary to remove the generator, first take out the three cap screws holding it to the front end cover and by placing the point of a screwdriver between the generator and front end cover. The generator may be forced off the engine assembly. Always start at the top of the generator and force it backward and downward at the same time. Plates may be obtained from the nearest dealer to place over the time gear if the car is to be operated with the generator removed. What should be done when replacing the generator? Answer number 131. 
When installing the generator, the drive pinion must be properly meshed with the large time gear. The generator bracket, that is, the section to which the generator is bolted, is separate from the cylinder block and the meshing of the generator driving pinion with the large time gear can be regulated by the use of one or more paper gaskets between the bracket and the cylinder block. The bracket should rest tightly on the crankcase gasket and line up with the face of the time gear case. If these gears are meshed too tightly, a humming noise will result. Also, the generator shaft will be thrown out of alignment. Can the engine be run with the generator disconnected from the battery? Answer number 132. If, for any reason, the engine is run with the generator disconnected from the battery, as on a block test, or when battery has been removed for repair or recharging, be sure that the generator is grounded by running a wire from the terminal on generator to one of the dust cover screws and the yoke. Two strands of shipping tag wire may be used for this purpose. Be sure that the connections at both ends of the wire are tight. Failure to do this when running the engine with the generator disconnected from the battery will result in serious injury to the generator. Never ground the generator through the cutout. What type of battery is used? Answer number 133. The Ford starting system uses a 6-volt 3-cell battery. How are hydrometer readings taken? Answer number 134. Hydrometer readings should be taken about every two weeks to make sure that the generator is keeping the battery charged. To take a hydrometer reading, remove the filling plugs. Remove the plug from only one cell at a time. Next, insert hydrometer syringe in the filler tube and draw up enough of the solution to float the glass bulb inside the instrument. The reading of the scale at the surface of the liquid, see cut number 24, gives the strength of the solution. Be sure to return the electrolyte to the cell from which it is taken. Following is a list of readings with their indications. The readings in parentheses apply to batteries used in tropical climates where water never freezes. Readings of 1.275 in parentheses 1.200 or more indicate a fully charged battery. Readings of less than 1.225 in parentheses 1.130 but more than 1.150 in parentheses 1.080 indicate complete discharge. Hydrometer tests taken immediately after filling the water and before it has become thoroughly mixed with the electrolyte will not show the true condition of the battery. If the hydrometer reading shows the battery less than one-half charged, it should be taken to the nearest authorized battery service station for recharging. Continued operation in a less than half-charged condition is injurious to the battery somewhat as running on a soft or deflated tire is injurious to the tire. Before replacing the battery, the cause of the discharge condition should be removed. It may be due to leaks or grounds in the car wiring or to the electric system having gotten out of adjustment so that the battery is not kept supplied with a proper amount of current from the generator. If the reading in one cell is more than 50 points from the others, it indicates that the cell is not in good order and the battery should be taken to a skilled serviceman for attention. Cut number 24, 
hydrometer readings. When should water be added to the battery? Answer number 135. Add nothing but pure water to the cells and do it often enough to keep the plates covered at all times. The solution, electrolyte, should be maintained at a level with the bottom of the filling tube. Distilled water, melted artificial, but not natural, ice and rainwater, if obtained in the open country from a clean slate or shingle covered roof, are generally satisfactory. All water for battery use should be kept in clean, covered vessels of glass, china, earthenware, rubber, or lead. In cold weather, add water only immediately before running the engine so that the charging will mix the water and electrolyte and avoid freezing. If, for any reason, it is necessary to add acid, the battery should be taken to an authorized service station. What care should be given the filling plugs and connections? Answer number 136. Keep the filling plugs and connections tight and the top of the battery clean. Wiping the battery with a rag moistened with ammonia will counteract the effect of any of the solution which may be on the outside of the battery. A coating of heavy oil or Vaseline will protect the connectors from corrosion. Keep the battery firmly secured in position. If clamps are loose, the battery will shift about in the compartment and result in loose connections broken cells, and other trouble. If repairs are necessary, or if the car is to be laid up for the winter, take the battery to a skilled serviceman for proper attention and storage. Do not entrust the battery to inexperienced or unskilled hands. Part 14. Summary of Engine Troubles and Their Causes Engine fails to start. 1. Gas mixture too lean. 2. Water and gasoline. 3. Vibrators adjusted too close. 4. Water or congealed oil in commutator. 5. Magneto contact point in transcover obstructed with foreign matter. 6. Gasoline supply shut off. 7. Carburetor frozen in zero weather. 8. Water frozen in gasoline tank sediment bulb. 9. Coil switch off. Engine lacks power, runs irregularly at low speeds. 1. Poor compression, account leaky valves. 2. Gas mixture too rich or too lean. 3. Spark plugs dirty. 4. Coil vibrator improperly adjusted. 5. Air leak in intake manifold. 6. Weak exhaust valve spring. 7. Too great clearance between valve stem and push rod. 8. Too close gap between spark plug points. At high speeds. 1. Commutator contact imperfect. 2. Weak valve spring. 3. Too much gap in spark plug. 4. Imperfect gas mixture. 5. Vibrator points dirty or burned. Engine stops suddenly. 1. Gasoline tank empty. 2. Water and gasoline. 3. Flooded carburetor. 4. Dirt in carburetor or feed pipe. 5. Magneto wire loose at either terminal. 
6. Magnetocontact point obstructed. 7. Overheated account lack of oil or water. 8. Gas mixture too lean. Engine overheats. 1. Lack of water. 2. Lack of oil. 3. Fan belt torn, loose, or slipping. 4. Carbon deposit and combustion chamber. 5. Spark retarded too far. 6. Gas mixture too rich. 7. Water circulation retarded by sediment and radiator. 8. Dirty spark plugs. Engine knocks. 1. Carbon deposit on piston heads. 2. Loose connecting rod bearing. 3. Loose crankshaft bearing. 4. Spark advanced too far. 5. Engine overheated. That is the end of the Ford manual for owners and operators of Ford cars and trucks. Just a reminder, if you would like to learn how to drive a Ford truck from 1919, simulator unit number 101 on deck 22 is programmed with this feature. There is not a simulator for the car at this time due to detailed information has not been found. Logging all the objects from vintage earth after the age of destruction is a huge project. The Galactic Guppy is still gathering teams to work on it. Well, Milky Way listeners, that is all for Vintage Earth tonight. Thank you for listening. Good night, rest well in your space, and ignore all piles of socks. You can find Sleepy Reads in your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sleepy Reads is produced by Spicy Pony Design. For more information and transcripts, go to SpicyPonyDesign.com.